Welcome to Stacey on the Right, the podcast brought to you by Family Vision Media. Today, our guest is Denisha Merriweather, founder of Black Minds Matter. Her website is blackmindsmatter.net, and you can find all of that on the show notes for today's podcast. Denisha, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much, Stacey, for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. So let's talk about your organization, Black Minds Matter. I love the way that sounds. Why did you found it? So during the uh, civil unrest, when George Floyd was murdered, I was really frustrated by all of the conversations that organizations and a lot of people around the country were having around, you know, changing systems and trying to make sure that uh, organizations were doing what was, you know, right for black individuals. and no one was paying attention to the education system. Uh, no one was really looking at how education played into the conversation of equity for Blacks in America. Um, and when you look at the education statistics for Black students, 15 out of 100 are reading on grade level, uh, 13 out of 100 are doing math on level, um, and these are really sad statistics. But when a feasible alternative, which is school choice, is introduced, uh, those outcomes for students reverse. Um, and so I founded Black Minds Matter to celebrate all of those accomplishments of students who are participating on those programs, but to also highlight education entrepreneurs is what I like to call them. And these are uh, Black individuals who founded schools. Um, and so we actually have the first and only directory of Black-owned schools on our website, blackmindsmatter.net. Um, we found about 300, and we believe there are, of course, more uh, schools than that. Um, and yeah, just to highlight them, and that's why we started. So your website talks about some goals, um, students having free, high-quality, safe school options, um, educational freedom, high school graduation rates being improved, test scores, college acceptance, et cetera, and then cultivating a safe space for idea sharing for advocates and communities who value diversity of thought. That is kind of groundbreaking because we don't usually see that on black websites having anything to do with education. It's usually filled with victimhood discussions and lots of language surrounding white supremacy, systemic racism, and a tendency to place the outcomes for children squarely on the shoulders of white people instead of individualizing it and having people driving for their own success. What has the reaction been to the website and to your promoting this form of educational choice? Yeah, you know, Stacey, your point is, is you know, right on. There is something about just the Black Minds Matter movement that, you know, I've started that's really taken off because a lot of people are intrigued by the fact that one, that there are black founders uh, who are people who are starting schools in that, um, you know, I call them education entrepreneurs because they really are. The reason why they're able to be sustainable is because of school choice programs. And the majority of the students who are taking advantage of these programs are black and brown students. And when someone has an education, they do, they take ownership into their own hands and change the narrative for their lives uh, to, to make it whatever you know they want. But that all starts with an education. Um, and we do, it's, it is, you know, both ed, the education conversation is both depressing, but then uplifting. Um, and so I don't, uh, you know, negate one for the other, because we do know that if a child is not reading well by the third grade, they're more likely to, you know, end up in prison. 
Um, and so we have to address those those sad realities. But then also, like your to your point, on the flip side, there's some really awesome things happening in the education space to celebrate those. And what school choice is is to champion those, but to advocate for policies to expand those opportunities so that more students can have great outcomes. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that actually drive the low outcomes. I know there there is a, a kind of a stigma on success in certain areas of the country. It's seen as being white if you use proper English, if you like reading, or if you like math, or if you're not prioritizing sports over education. Um, it's seen as acting white or being white. How does having this directory, which shows parents which schools are owned by Black people who are basically leading in the fray, starting educational institutions to give opportunities to Black students, how does that kind of change and push back on that narrative? Because I think a school that people know is owned and started by Black people goes against the narrative that it's somehow white to love education, to want to be well-educated, or to want to succeed. Yeah, and that that you know, just that if you have if you're educated, if you speak with proper English and a dialect, then you're somehow you know acting white. You know that it's pretty sad. But to your point, yeah, it's really encouraging because a lot of people who are founding schools can reverse that. And I never thought about it like that before. Yeah, the the biggest deal with it is that um, no other ethnic group has that stigma attached to it. So. Hispanics don't say if you use proper English, you're acting white. Um, they, they're mainly, their concern is that you also speak the language of whatever country of origin you come from. So if you don't speak Spanish, there's a little bit of a stigma associated with that. But there's no stigma associated with speaking proper English. Yeah. The same thing with people who immigrate here from Haiti or Nigeria or pretty much any other uh, Black nation. They come here and they speak proper English, they maintain their cultural traditions, and they associate none of the success with anything having to do with white people. And they also don't blame white people for a lack of success. They actually are very strict on um, what they see as the opportunity to have success and how they tie that together with hard work. Yeah. So this is a, something that's unique to our community that has to be, it has to be eradicated. If children are beating children up, who, for doing well in class or answering questions, raising their hand, speaking proper English, you know, playing an instrument instead of playing sports, that actually depresses educational outcomes because it becomes more cool, if you will, not to succeed. And that is a real systemic problem that we have seen in some communities that needs to be reversed. Yeah. And, you know, Stacey, I think it is a conversation of, you know, excellence uh, in an environment that is geared towards excellence because I, w I went to a choice school I went to a private school on scholarship and that was in our motto esprit de corps is a school where excellence is the norm superiority is our goal and that is what they implemented every single day um, everyone had high standards and that's something that we do see in these choice schools where students are not you know, held to the to the lowest common denominator, the bar is raised. And that's what we need in all schooling environments. Um, that's something that can happen from the bottom down, from the, you know, 
no, top down, bottom up. <laughs> and, you know, we can do these things uh, for students because I came into a private school not reading on grade level. I failed the third grade twice. And sitting in this private school where everyone was way ahead of me academically, they nurtured me. The students never laughed at me, never poked fun at me for being on a low, uh, being on a low grade level, speaking differently and all this kind of stuff. Everyone held me to a higher standard, but that was the environment that I was in. And I think if we can give more students that same type of opportunity, they will have a different outlook on education. Yeah, I, and, and it's possible because so there are uh, actually lots of studies that are rarely referred to that show that students can attain more than a year's worth of educational achievement in one school year. So the school year is not even 12 months. It's like more like nine and a half, 10 months. And in those months, a student, if, if they're motivated and supported in the same way that you've just described about your experience, those students can actually outperform all of the metrics that are the standard, which obviously the standard for a school year is that you attain one school year worth of, of uh, educational growth. But you can do a year and a half or two years with a student who's motivated and kids can catch up if they're supported. And so the community has to be right. So as far as educational choice, we've seen some real strides. And uh, one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that we've been greatly helped. Uh, the pandemic has assisted the school choice movement because teachers, That's right. yeah. Yeah, their teachers unions, they really did a bad job of um, representing education and supporting their students. Not all teachers, but on the main, it's been very bad in public school, which has meant that now there are waiting lists at all of the private schools. Uh, the Christian ones especially are growing and finding a real footing in this environment because parents are basically coming back to basics. They want a school that will teach their child education and leave the ideology out of it. Um, where do you see school choice going from here? Because we are emerging finally from the pandemic. And I hope that some of these negative outcomes for public school students will begin to recede. But in the face of the, the new swelling school choice movement, there have to be some kind of goals on the horizon that you're that you're looking forward to. Yeah. And, you know, you are so right. Uh, because, you know, at, during the pandemic, a lot of parents were very frustrated with their child's education. And societally, we like to think that Black parents don't care about their kids, but that is not true. During the pandemic, Black Black families increased their, uh, their uh, support for school choice, and they had the highest growth in um, homeschooling in the entire country. So they went from about 6% to 13%, and that's remarkable. Yeah, that, that was one of the, the best statistics um, of the pandemic because we had a lot of negative statistics surrounding, obviously, the most critical part, which was that people died of COVID-19 and the impacts of the COVID-19 lockdowns. But the, the, on the good news side, the fact that Black parents led in the highest percentage growth of homeschooling or alternative schooling it really showed to me uh, and kind of proved things that I've been saying all along, which is that black parents really care about their kids' education and black parents That's want right. better outcomes. And so this, this kind of reputation that black families don't prioritize education, it's so false. But if we just look at the media, that's all we're going to believe. But if we look mm -hmm. at the statistics surrounding, especially now, it's, it's a huge swell. Black families actually said, I'm homeschooling uh, earlier and more frequently than any other demographic group. 
in response to virtual learning or um, schools being closed altogether. That is really, really impactful. Like having a homeschool, having your children understand that they can learn at home, it completely revolutionizes the way they think about education and it opens their minds up to learning opportunities everywhere. And then if they do end up going back to a more traditional educational option, they're expanded, they're, they're broadened, they're, they're ready to tackle the, the material in ways they probably couldn't have when they only thought of school as something they had to go to at their school from their teacher, et cetera. So I, I just, I want to see those numbers continue to swell. I want to see homeschool numbers for black Americans be at 25% um, because that's right. Many, yeah. Right. So many black parents are dissatisfied with uh, public education. And I've even met moms who tried private and have been sorely disappointed. So homeschooling is a great option. Yeah. And you said you asked that you know, policy question. What do you, what do I think, you know, moving forward, the homeschooling community has been, you know, majority uh, white for, for a long time and the, those policies and practices around just homeschooling um, has been for the majority culture. And there was an article that just came out about Hispanic and Asian families too, who are homeschooling at higher rates. So the demographics for the homeschooling community is definitely changing. And so I love to see, you know, more, uh, more homes, like you're saying, more homeschooling parents who are black and brown, because during, we, we see that they can have this opportunity. And with with the support for their tax dollars, they can make it a, a reality with money, you know, because a lot of people can't homeschool because of the financial barriers. But if they can use their own tax dollars and educate their kids at home, that could just be remarkable for everybody. Yeah. And the funding is another side of the issue. And my hope is that more because I, I follow um, a number of people who do really good work um, on educational choice. And they've been tweeting out uh, every single day, there's a new piece of legislation coming out of a state that basically takes the money away from the property address or the school that's associated with the property address and ties that money to the child so that children can basically say, you know what, this public school is actually great, but it's not the right fit for my child because my child has, you know, some, some kids have learning needs that they, they need addressed, or they have attention needs that they need addressed, or they have special, like specialization where a child is really obsessed with science from like the time they're five years old, and they'd be much better in a school that was more STEM-based. An artistically-minded child still needs to learn about math and reading, but an artistically-minded school would be a better fit for them. And so for a parent who wants to find something that fits their child in our customized age, you know, Denisha, we have custom coffee. We even have the ability now, I, I was noticing the trend on Instagram is that some guy is screaming in a New York accent that he's making coffee. Does anybody want coffee? And then there's these videos of these people and they're making coffee at home and the machines they're using, girl, I'm, I'm like, what? Well, my best life is not being executed right now because I do not have one of those <laughs> machines. I have a little espresso maker, but I'm talking about coffee setups that look like they're from a coffee shop, but it's in their kitchen and they're pouring and they're making the little yeah, latte art at home. So in a customized environment like this, where I can go on to Amazon and find something I've never seen before, order it, and it's here tomorrow in 24 hours, or I can pick it up at Amazon Locker. Right. Mm -hmm. Education should be just as customized. I mean, I, I really believe that. 
Yeah, you're right. We do. We've been operating in a, you know, education model that has been outdated for decades. It's time for innovation. There's a wonderful uh, school, um, a classical model school in Florida, and they've just started a virtual school where it's literally a VR, not virtual as in get on your computer, but virtual in the sense of virtual reality, where students put on an Oculus and they're inside of their classroom. Their classroom is one day on the moon, the next day, you know, the virtual setting. And, you know, with the advancement of all of these cool things like uh, crypto and the metaverse, education can be really revolutionized, but it really it takes strong leadership. Uh, both in in the political space and in the community and entrepreneurial space to embrace these different models. Um, and parents are, you know, parents wanted for their kids. So I think we have support from the parents um, and the students, students especially, you know, uh, you ask a student, any student, oh, did you like school today? Or how are you, you know, loving school? You would sometimes get, you know, hit with some interesting responses. Kids want this. And so it's really up to the legislature to embrace it. And the simple fact of the matter is, is, school is mandatory. If a parent does not send their kid to school, they are arrested and put in jail. And that's fundamentally wrong. I think we have compulsory education in this country, and that's a different conversation. But if students are mandated to go to school, parents have to send their kids to a school and environment for 13 years, then it better be a good one. And it better be one that they want their kids to go to. Yeah. Um, when you say it's mandatory, it is, it's compulsory here in the United States, but it's also on the level of being a parent, it's compulsory to educate your child and bring them up in the way that they should go. Because at some point, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, we're all going to be called to account for every word, every deed. And as parents, it's an extra responsibility. We'll be called to account for what we taught our children. And I take that very seriously. Yeah. I, I, I take it more seriously than some things that have to do with myself because I know that this is a higher calling because children actually grow into adults and they go out into the world and they impact other people. And long after their parents are gone or have stopped being concerned with them, adults are out there either bringing good to the world of other people or reaching it in the lives of other people based on what they learned at home and what kind of education they had. So it's a very serious responsibility. And I think you know, first of all, I love the dynamic of your website. I love the way it looks. When I land there, I feel like I'm in a very cool, fun space. Yay. But more than that, I love the little girl. She's sitting there with her natural hair, yes. her little hand going up. She's engaging with her books on the table. And then this kind of space image opens up and she's looking out into space and there's all these things flying around. And it's like so representative of the way kids' minds work. I loved the time that I spent with our children doing educational things when they were little outside of them going to school, because I just would always be surprised by the way they would think about things or the way they observe things, the way they took in the world around us that my adult eyes couldn't see. The kids see things differently. They see yeah. limitations. Yeah. Of adults. So, you know, I love the fact that you're doing this and that you have this black owned schools directory Um, I I know there's a donate button here. Anyone who's listening to the podcast today, you can donate to support the work of Black Minds Matter. Um, We often complain that no one's doing this or why isn't there that or, you know, why, why doesn't someone speak out about this or that? Well, in this case, 
we don't have to complain because Denisha Merriweather is doing the work. She put the website together. She's advocating for school choice. And she's in this movement with all of us who support it. So show her some love over on her website. Um, and and I just want to say thank you for joining me today. I love the school choice thank movement. You. And I love the intersection with Black History Month. It is such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stacey. Uh, I really appreciated it. It was such a great time to speak with you. All right. You have a blessed afternoon. And for everyone else, we'll be back with more Stacey on the Right in the near future. God bless you and see you next time.